our study in the Gospel of John. We've come to this incredible prayer of our Lord here in in John 17. We'll read through the first 13 verses, but our our focus on this morning will be um, verse 13 alone, the next verse in in our study. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which, I have give, which you have given me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in this world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we, as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those, those who, whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now for our text this morning. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Let's, um, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what an amazing passage of Scripture this is. Your prayer, prayed to the Father, but prayed specifically that, that your joy, Lord, would be fulfilled in us. And, and I pray, Lord, that... Um, you would cause our hearts to be full of joy on this morning. Cause us through your word to see where that joy comes from and find ourselves just overflowing with joy this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We, from the time that we are babies, we have a passion to find joy. A, a, a passion for pleasure, a passion to have um, the things that we want that we think would be the best things for us. You, you, you think of of just an infant. We we have a, a one and a half year old, or not quite, a little over fifteen month old baby, and a five year old girl and an eight year old boy. And so I've, I've watched this over these years with the kids. You, you see them in that infant stage where 
they will make your life miserable through screaming and crying until they get what they want, right? Miserable. Now, for little Andrew, who's a little over a year old, if, if he doesn't get what he wants, he'll, he'll throw himself on the ground and start kicking, and, or, he'll, or he'll make the sound of a, a pterodactyl where he's just, you know, where he wants that thing. And, and, and it's just if he can't communicate it in any other way, but he wants that, and his sister has it, or his brother has it, or we have it, and it's just like, you know, how do I get it? He wanted me to have him today. I usually don't drop him off into the nursery, but I did this morning because Tasha's on the retreat. And it, it, was, it was like he's been there before and they waterboard him the whole time. He, he, like, he screamed like, like the worst thing ever was happening to him. And I just told them, like, you know how you call some parents and say, like, your kid's out of control. You need to come out of the sanctuary and come rescue us. I'm like, don't call me. I can't come. I can't come. <laughs> have, have fun with this one for the next hour and a half. It, from there, they, they start to develop words to be able to express, like, I want this. I want this. Natalie had this little phrase that she had. It was one of her first things that she ever said when you'd say, she, she'd ask if she could have something, and you'd say no. And her response was, no, say no, say yes. And we heard that so many times. No, say no, say yes. No, say no, 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 say no, say yes. And, and that was her response to almost anything. Um, I've talked to, I talked to another mom this week who said that their child just held their breath. And that was their way of, of showing, like, you're not giving me what I want right now. Um, as the kids get older, they're... they're Desire for pleasure continues where it's things like, I want one. Whatever it is that the other child has, I want one. Can I have this? I want one. I want one. I want one. And whatever toy the other child is playing with, all of a sudden it became the most precious toy in the house. Because there is a chance that one child is having fun with that toy, but the other one is missing out on it. It is... It's, it's, it's crazy. They play games on the computer and it's just, this one's had more time, you know. But you had your turn. But I lose so fast. It's not fair. I should get more turns, you know. And how am I ever going to get better? And, and they deal with just pleasure, joy. I want this. But it doesn't stop there. It continues. And we find ourselves as people, just a people who have this incredible Desire for joy. Joy in, in money. Um, joy in power. Joy in friends. Joy in toys. The toys just get bigger. Toys in, or joy in, in social media or relationships or our appearance or sports or music or other modern-day idols. Joy in things like a retirement fund and joy in, in how all of it works together. Always looking for something a little bit more. Always trying to find 
something that will bring us more pleasure. Um, setting goals is a good thing sometimes. But at the same time, it could be something that just drives us and drives us and drives us and it becomes an idol in our lives where it's just, I have to get to this. If I get to this, I'll be happy. If I get to this, I'll be fulfilled. If I get to this, I'll be satisfied. And you get to it, and it's a game that we play from the time that we're little. You always find that it's not enough. Whatever it is that you have got to is not enough. There's a continual need for more money, for more power, for more toys, for the newest toy, for losing more weight or or getting to another place or lifting more weights or doing whatever it is that we are trying to do to make it so that we are in some way satisfied. Maybe from relationship to relationship or marriage to marriage or drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever it is that we are grasping for to make it so that we can find pleasure. Even if it's just for a moment, we'll do what we need to do to get pleasure, to get joy. And it drives us. But there's something different for a Christian. For someone who has the Holy Spirit residing within them. The affections for stuff and the things of this world change. And we begin to have an affection for the things of God. Our joy becomes sourced in Christ rather than in the things of this world. We had members of our church who, um, not too long ago, left to head back to Africa where they lived. Um, Keegan and Amy Cook. And Keegan has been training for years to make it to the Olympics for 2016. Just one of the most driven men I've ever seen towards us. He goes to, wakes up in the morning, and, and from that moment on, everything all day is geared towards being an Olympian. He's a decathlete, so there's 10 events that he does, and he needs to prepare for and get ready for. And so it's, where's the best training? What can I do? How do we make money to get to the best training? And he, he's trying to represent Zimbabwe for the Olympics, and so he has just... Every meal and every workout and everything is geared towards getting to the Olympics. And the thing that Zimbabwe wanted him to do was to be able to, um, to do very well at the All-African Games in, in this last year. And so he has been training so hard for that particular event. Um, and he flew 40 hours from LAX when we last said goodbye to them, to Congo, where um, the All-African Games took place. And, and Congo, if, I don't know if you know much about it, but it's, 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 it's this country in, in which there is virtually nothing. I mean, they, the, there's incredible poverty, and, and it's very, very, very third world, and just a difficult place to be, but that was the place where these games were supposed to take place this year. And he needed to be able to get his 16-foot pole vaulting poles onto that plane to head out. And it was just a battle all the way through. He had to finally get the pilot to be able to say, like, I will let him put these poles on the plane. And so he got his pole on the plane in a big case. And 40 hours later of going through Ireland and Ethiopia and all kinds of crazy places, ended up in Congo. 
and started the event and the events and it's a couple of days of doing these events and Keegan was just killing it. Personal best times on virtually everything, um, breaking records, just doing incredible for the first eight events and and uh, and then came the pole vaulting and he shows up to the pole vaulting and realizes that nobody has poles. Nobody brought poles. You have 6,000 athletes that have come to these games and all of these decathletes that have come and not one person brought poles because how do you get poles to Congo? It's almost impossible and the cost of the poles is tremendous and, and so they all showed up with no poles. He was the only one that had poles. And at this particular point, he was set to win the entire African Games. Just set. Set to head off to the Olympics. He just had to make this, this jump and do two other events that he did very well in. And so he goes and he, he does the, the, he brings out his poles and no one else has them. And being a believer and knowing that all of these guys that are there will all be disqualified immediately if they don't have poles and they can't do this jump, um, lends them his poles. They all practice with his poles. They all do the events with his poles. They all go through the whole process of, of trying to get to a place where they can make it. They, they make the jump. They do all their things. And he comes up. And at this point, I guess pole vault poles are like, it's, Amy said it's like, it's like buying a suit for yourself or, or a dress for the girls. Like you, you buy it for yourself. It is for you. It's for your height. It's for your weight. It's for you. You take care of it in a certain way, and these things matter. I don't know much about it. Maybe hard for you to believe I didn't do that event when I was an athlete. Um, I probably couldn't make it over the fence coming into the church. But you... This is what he does. And so everybody used it, and it came his turn. And when he went to jump, his pole broke. Disqualified. Done. And there were tears and heartache. I mean, he just countless hours to get to the place where if he does well, he makes the Olympics. But he said to his wife that morning that he had been reading in Colossians 3 where it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And this verse stood out to him. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. Set your mind on things above not on the things of the earth. And so before that day, before that event, he went up to Amy, his wife, and just said, God tells us, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. The verse goes on and says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. He says that to his wife, and yet he's still trying with all of his might to be able to make the Olympics. He would have been there. He just had to make that jump. A jump he's made over and over and over and over again. He just needed to make that jump. 
for the Christian, there's a shift that goes in our mind. A place of, I trust him. I want my mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth. Not being consumed with the things of the earth. Even though he's still working out and he's still trying. And his goal now is 2020. How do I get into the Olympics in 2020? And, and so he's training and working and doing all the things that he needs to do to get to that particular place. But 2016 and his hopes for that went with the pole. That broke. And yet... His view of God is different than countless other people. She said they wept. But then he went and did one of his best javelin throws that he's ever had. And then the last event was running the 1500. And he couldn't win no matter what. And so he just said to a buddy that was from Mauritius, he said, I'll I'll just pace you, how about? And so he paced him for that last event. Didn't do his best time, but just paced him, helped that guy to win the gold medal and to win it and to be able to go to the Olympics and helped that guy break the national record. And he was just pacing him. And and they just said, our goal is to glorify God. They, They wrote in the email, like, there's a way bigger race for us than the Olympics. And that's this race that God's called us towards, to glorify him. A passion in them to please him. A passion in them to live for him. A joy that is sourced in living to God's glory. A joy that's sourced in their salvation that the world can never understand. We, we put goals up for ourselves and, and sometimes idols up for ourselves, and we just want this. If I just get this, if I just get that, if I get this other thing, if I can make this much money or if I can get this promotion or if I can get this relationship or whatever it is that we are just going for. And yet there is joy for us as believers that is far different than what the world can ever offer. C.S. Lewis in his classic book, Mere Christianity, says this, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes and empires and slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. You're just trying to find something other than God to make you happy. And for us as believers, we can frequently go down those same paths. It's our flesh. We grew up, pterodactyl sounds, falling on the ground, holding your breath. Whatever it is that you did to try to get what you wanted, and it grew up to temper tantrums of other sorts, and manipulating people, and doing whatever it takes to try to get what you want, and Go after your idols and going after the things that you desire. Going after things other than God, which will make you happy. This isn't what God does for us. In this prayer, Jesus says here, but now, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled 
in themselves. My joy fulfilled in themselves. He is about ready to go to the cross. He's proclaimed the gospel to the disciples. He's about to save his people. And he does this that his joy may be fulfilled in them. Radical. You see, we have this goal of striving after joy, striving after happiness, doing everything that we possibly can to get happiness. And God has this goal to give us happiness. God has this goal to give us joy. God gives us this goal or has this goal to be in a place where we could have more joy than we ever thought was possible. And he fulfills that goal. Part of his prayer is specifically saying, I'm speaking this in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I want them to have that joy. They've gone after broken cisterns that can hold no water. There's all these cisterns that are broken and they they keep going after these cisterns and they don't hold water. But I'm the fountain of living water that makes it so they never thirst again. And I am going to make a way for them to have that. The, the, the story in Scripture is just amazing when you look at redemptive history. What God's done for us. You think of the story of Hosea. Here's this man and he's told to marry this, this, this harlot. And he does. And she goes back after her harlotry and prostitution. And here he's married to her and, and, and she's going after what the Bible says, other lovers, and going after these other men. And, and he continues to provide gifts to her. And as he provides gifts to her, she attributes these gifts to other people, to these other men, to, these, to, to others. And yet, he continues to bless her. And God just tells us, this is a picture of my people. I, I have this people, and this people is not a beautiful people. This people is a people who have gone after other lovers. They're adulterers. They're going after whatever they could possibly go after to try to find some joy, to be able to try to find some pleasure. I give them gifts and I bless them and they attribute to how smart they are. They attribute to how lucky they are. They attribute it to whatever other thing it is. And, and, and God just says, this is what my people are like. And he tells Hosea, as she finally comes to a place of being sold into slavery, he tells him to go and to, and to purchase her. And he does. He goes and purchases her to bring her back, to bring her into his home, to love her, to just minister to her. And God says, that's what I've done for you. I've gone after, you've gone after all of these other lovers. You're trying to find joy in all these other things. And yet, I bought you. I called you. I purchased you so that you could spend eternity with me. The joy that that wife had in the love of her husband is the kind of joy that we ought to have even magnified that much more in our Savior. We serve a God that is full of joy. He tells us things like in Jeremiah 32 and verse 41, he says that, yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will assuredly plant them in, in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. A God that, that just says, I, I rejoice in doing good to them. I rejoice in blessing them. I rejoice in giving them joy. I rejoice in 
being their savior. I rejoice in making them my people. I rejoice in washing away their sins and giving them robes of righteousness. I rejoice in making them my bride. I do this with all my heart and with all my soul. A God that that is just full of a desire to bless us. In Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. With singing. The kind of God that we serve, he rejoices over you. There's joy, and he tells us here in this prayer that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And you say, what kind of joy is this? And the kind of joy that does things with all his heart and with all his soul. The kind of joy, brothers and sisters, that rejoices with singing. Just singing. With all that is within him, singing for joy over us as people. He saves us like that. He calls us into his marvelous light. He tells us as his people that we are to rejoice. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He tells us that in Luke 10, 20. Rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. It changes everything for us. I mean, when you're going after all of these other things and you're trying to find joy in whatever it is that you're trying to find, find joy in and God just like, I've made it so my joy could be fulfilled in you. To start out with, hey, your names are written in heaven. They're there. They're in, they're, they're in a book and they're written there. They're in the book of life. Rejoice over that. Tells them specifically, rejoice. Don't, don't rejoice simply because spirits are subject to you after his disciples have done all these things. No, rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And then it tells us right after he said that, the next verse says, in that hour, right after he says, rejoice because your names are written in heaven, the next verse says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to the babes. Thank you. I thank you that you have revealed these things to my people. But I love the way Luke records this in saying, Jesus said, rejoice because your names are in heaven. And the next thing is, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced. He rejoiced. There was exceeding joy that came forth from Christ as he thought of you and me. And that the gospel would be revealed to us in such a way that we would go after him and follow him and be saved. Jesus have an incredible joy over that. When you start thinking about our salvation, there's great reasons to have joy. To think that you have been justified by faith. Um, Romans 5 tells us that we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those words alone 
if we understood the magnitude of what it was that we deserved, as far as spending eternity apart from him, the way in which we were haters of God, he tells us, there was no peace between us at all, but now he's justified you. He's made peace with God through Christ. He's made access into this grace in which we stand. And then it says, and as a result, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. We have joy because there is hope that we will spend eternity with him. All through scripture, it's section after section of making it so that there's joy. You think of my little guy, still probably screaming. Maybe not. I think you'd hear him if he was. Um, he was just reaching out like, yeah, don't leave me with these people. Screaming because it's just like, what is going to happen? Fearful of, of, of daddy being gone. You know, mommy's already abandoned me for the last two days. I don't know if she'll ever come back. In his mind, now daddy just handed me off to strangers. And and so in his mind, it's just, I'm not safe. There is no joy. I am going to scream. This is terrifying to me. Like, you've left me with these people and all these toys and treats. And, and in his mind, it's just the most fearful thing imaginable because there's not that kind of security that's there. But for us, too, there's just fear. There's very, it's very difficult to have joy when there's no security. It's very difficult to have joy when we don't know what's going to happen next. It's very difficult to have joy when we're in a place where, where around the next corner could be something that's just absolutely horrifying. But through Scripture, over and over again, the Holy Spirit ministers to us in that way. In Romans chapter 8, a, a, a familiar section to many of you, but Paul says, what do we say to these things? If, if God is for us, who could be against us? Just that reality of if God's for you, who could be against you? I mean, just, just put it into perspective. If, if he is on your team, how could it ever go badly? My kids say to me all the time, as far as, you know, especially, well, Natalie right now, where I'll say, Natalie, can you go do this? Can you go with me? No, Natalie, just go. Just go say this to that person. Can you please go with me? Just go with me. Please go with me. I'll go if you go. Please go. Because the idea of going without me is terrifying to her. But to be able to serve a God that just says, hey, if I'm for you, who could be against you? He didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I mean, it's just these confirmations after confirmations that if we're in a place of despair right now, to be able to know with certainty that if God is for you, who could be against you? If he, if he gave you his son, why would he not also give you everything else? I mean, if he gave you that which was best, that which was most precious to him, then won't he give you everything else? I mean, if, if you're thinking like, oh, just, I, I just hope I get like 
a shack in heaven. I mean, just something. If I could just get there. And God just saying, like, if I gave you my son, I'm, I'm going to give you everything else. You can be assured of that. Who, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies I mean, the, the perspective is, is, is have joy because no one can bring a charge against you. I mean, when people come and say, well, you did this and you did that and you did this other thing. And, and he's saying, but God's the one that justified you. God's the one that made you perfect. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Um, when you think of the joys that we have in this life, sometimes it's in relationships, and, and sometimes those relationships are such that you're abandoned. Or someone dies. Or circumstances occur where that person is no longer in your life. And yet, Christ says, who could ever separate you from my love? Who could ever take you from that? We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's joy that Jesus was being able to fulfill in us as a result of the cross. Joy that the world can never, ever experience. You have been washed by his blood. You have been made righteous in him. You've been brought into his kingdom. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have been given a guarantee that you'll spend eternity with him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he begins to talk about it. It's an inheritance that's incorruptible. You've got an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says this, In this you greatly rejoice. All of it is coming together as far as his joy is going to be fulfilled in you. And then you look at the plan of salvation and what it is that God has called you from and what it is that he has done for you and the inheritance that he's given you, the one that's incorruptible and undefiled and it doesn't fade away and is reserved in heaven for you and it's kept by the power of God. And then the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to say, in this you greatly rejoice. I mean, your idols or your comforts, or a life of ease, or this body in which you once idolized and now it's decaying slowly, and what once consumed you in this area, you just see it continuing to take steps downward. 
whatever it is that is your thing that was to bring you joy, it's failed. Or it's failing. And yet God says that he gives us a joy that's kept by the power of God. You greatly rejoice in this. From there he says, you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You rejoice like that. Inexpressible, full of glory, because you receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It gives you joy that's unimaginable, inexpressible. The goal of God is to bring you that kind of joy. What does he tell us when we enter into heaven, enter into the joy of the Lord? At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so when you start looking at all the stuff that we're trying to do to bring joy to ourselves, what a comfort it is to say, like, he has already made it so you can have the greatest joy you could ever possibly imagine, and it's there for all eternity, and it's safe. He fulfilled it. He prayed for that. In Jude, verses 24 and 25, it, it says, Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. I like that. I love that. When you think about my inheritance, it's incorruptible and undefiled and can't fade away and it's reserved in heaven for me. To be able to hear the Holy Spirit say, okay, so now unto him, and let me describe him, the Holy Spirit says, the one who's able to keep you from stumbling. He could keep you from falling. He could keep you from losing your salvation. Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his the presence of his glory. He's able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. And then it says this, with, with exceeding joy. He's able to present you before God with exceeding joy. It happens. I mean, you will find this all throughout scripture as far as the joy fulfilled, it happens. Enter into the joy of the Lord pleasures forevermore, presents you faultless with exceeding joy. In our call to worship this morning, or in our scripture reading that Pastor Matt had us read, it came from Psalm 43, and, and here this particular psalmist is in a place where the things aren't going very well for him. The enemies coming around him. Life's hard. He's wondering where God has gone. Where are the blessings? I, I, I wanted all of these things. I, I called out for them. I asked you for these things. I said, no say, no say yes. <laughs> I wanted this in my life and I haven't got it. I didn't get it. I, I don't have it. In this psalm, he prays, vindicate me, O God. And plead my cause against the ungodly nation, these ungodly people. 
Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man. Help me. I'm surrounded by these wicked people, and these are the things that they're doing to me. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? He says. You're the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? You're the God of my strength, and it's not going the way that I want it to go, and I don't feel you near right now, and my joy is just depleting. Where are you? Why do I, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why am I so sad and devastated right now because of the circumstances in my life? And he says, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. And then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. Hear his heart there? Things are not going the way that I want them to go, and it doesn't seem like you're near. It doesn't seem... Like you're here to help me? Can you send your light and your truth? Can you do that for me, God? Can you lead me? Can you bring me to your tabernacle? And I'll go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Not only do we have joy guaranteed for us in eternity, but you hear the psalmist here just saying, I want to go to him now. The source of my exceeding joy, I want to go there now. And when I get there, I'll praise him. I'll take out the harp and I'll praise him. And then he starts to ask himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you like this? Why, why is there turmoil inside me? Why is it like this? Why am I in despair? Why am I so depressed? Why is my joy not there? And then he says, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He preaches a sermon to himself here. You're in a place of just in despair You've called out to God. He doesn't seem there. And then he starts just to talk. I'm going to him. My exceeding joy, I'm going to him. Soul, why are you cast down? Why are you like this? Why are you so depressed? Why are you in a place of just going into a tailspin? Why are you like that? Hope in God. Hope in God. He is the one who is your salvation and your God. Praise him again. Sing praises to him because there's those in scripture like us here who have been in a place of despair been in a place without hope been in a place where things are not going the way that we want them to go and god help us just to hear the prayer of jesus in john 17 and what he's done for us and look at it in light of what he's accomplished for us now and just say why are you cast down why are you like this oh my soul hope in god he is our exceeding joy. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. 
I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've made a way for us to have joy um, that doesn't ever fade away. You, You tell us that in heaven there's no more tears. You've made a way for us to be able to spend eternity with you where there's fullness of joy, no tears, pleasures forevermore. I pray just even the knowledge that we are going there would bring us joy. But in these times here on earth where we're in a place where our souls just feel cast down and and turmoil and despair and depressed, that we would look to our God, that we would go to our God, we'd go to the source of our exceeding joy, and that we would place our hope in you and praise you and give thanks to you and know that you have a purpose in all that you do and know that you have called us and know that you have saved us and you know that you've made us your own special people and you've given us your son and how much more will you also freely give us all things and you'll work all things together for good. You'll mold us and conform us into your image. You'll keep us from stumbling and present us to yourself faultless with exceeding joy. May the knowledge of these promises give us joy that is lasting. Not like the temporary joys that the world can offer, but a joy that is lasting. May it be lasting in the saints here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.